Hey, real quick, I just wanted to let you know that Gabba Gabba Hunt is now a record store. Well, not really a store, but a booth at an antique store located in Eastridge Mall in Gastonia, North Carolina. Vintage Village is three stores down from Dillard's on the left. And my booth is on the left side of Vintage Village. It's the one with all the records. You can't miss it. I've got over a thousand records, toys, t-shirts, DVDs, VHS, all kinds of stuff there. So come check it out. Gabba Gabba Hunt Records and Vintage Goods located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. This episode of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks is brought to you by Hobo Wolfman Records. Hobo Wolfman is the home of the fill-ins, the body bags, and they just released a new 7-inch by the Poison Boys. You never know what's going to show up on their website. They've got all kinds of cool shit on there. Check them out at HoboWolfmanRecords.com. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolina's underground music scene. Your host, Mike Phillips of Van Huskins. Hey there, and welcome to episode 25 of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks. Today's guest is Jeff Clayton of Anti-Scene. Now, I've been wanting to get Jeff for a while, but I did kind of hold off on getting him just because I wanted to build my chops up before I got around to interviewing Jeff. When you hear the story I tell at the beginning of the episode, you'll understand why. Now, I did want to make just a couple of notes about this episode. For one, after about the third song, the audio on my voice gets kind of sketchy. I got a little bit overzealous in trying to scrub the nature sounds out of the back with my noise reduction, and I didn't realize it until I had already done a whole lot of editing, and it was kind of hard to go back at that point without starting all over. Now, I've had some people tell me I shouldn't even mention my audio issues because they wouldn't even notice it, but I know there's a few of you out there that would. It's not bad, but bad enough for me to make a note of it. I also wanted to let you know where you can find their music. Now, most people do know where they can get Anti-Scenes music, but just in case you don't, if you're looking for digital, you can go to antiscene.bandcamp.com. But if you want physical releases and merchandise, go to antiscene.com. You can get it all there, straight from the man himself. Now, I'm not going to run my mouth too much on this one, because I do run my mouth quite a bit in this one. This may be the episode I talk the most in out of all the episodes I've done so far, besides episode two and three at least. If you're a fan of Jeff and Anti-Scene and you've watched any of his interviews or his break-on-throughs that he does on Facebook, you're likely to already have heard one or two of these stories, but that's okay. I actually tried to intentionally talk to Jeff about some stuff that he may not have talked about recently. And while we do talk a good bit about Anti-Scene, and the talk always goes back to that, we hit on a few other things that most people wouldn't ask him about. Other than Jeff kind of telling a story, there are several conversation moments in this episode, and I really love that part of it. Be sure to listen to the end to hear a hint of what may be to come, both from me and from Anti-Scene. And I think that's about all I got to say. Let's get to this week's episode. Testing one. Hey, hey. You registering at all? Yep. All and right. I good. might turn you down just a little bit. And all right. Keep an eye on this. I'm just going to listen to it here for a minute. So what I'll do, I think, I, I thought about at one point saving this one for uh, like close to Halloween. Mm-hmm. But you guys are doing a, a live stream sometime. On the 25th. So mm-hmm. I figure I might just go ahead and put it out because you just had your anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, good time to do it and it's also i'm just gonna unplug that and leave it out now it sounds good uh be a way to promote that as well it'll give me an episode this week too so i'll, I'll get it all edited together early so you can listen to it in case you want to listen to it and go ah man you might want to cut that out i'm not you know i'm, I'm gonna be real i'm not gonna leave anything in that <clears throat> be questionable okay. anyway but sometimes people hear it back and go oh man that was stupid what i said <laughs> and like i thought it was pretty funny but you know so if there is anything I, I've, I've gotten to where i try to get them out a little bit early mm-hmm. so people can listen to them so far, I haven't had that be an issue. Yeah, I've done enough of these where I kind of know what not to talk about. 
and and you know it's it's just what whatever whatever gets said gets said and then i i use my best judgment on it a lot of times you know I, i've heard that somebody got a little bit upset about something that was said on my podcast and i've just tried to figure out for the life of me i can't i've never said anything about him on the podcast and unless somebody said something about him and it was like coded or just you know they didn't mention his name at least because mm-hmm. I wouldn't let that shit out there. I don't want, I don't want my podcast to cause problems. So I'm going to do the introduction. I'm talking to Jeff Clayton today and um, Jeff, I've been a fan of you guys for a long time and I've, I've told this story on in the, in the zine and I believe you read it, mm-hmm. but I kind of wanted to tell it on the podcast. Real okay. Quick. But um, when I was like 16, 17, I started coming to Charlotte to go record shopping. I, I was always going to the mall before then because that's just where I could get to when I was a kid living in Kings Mountain, Gastonia or Shelby, mm-hmm. but discovered Charlotte and the record store and the comic book store. I was like, ooh, we got to go there. All on the same street. Right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Milestone Records was there, and then right around the corner was Heroes, and then right down the road was Repo. It was just it was mm-hmm. perfect. On one of our first trips down there, we started noticing all these flyers for a band called Anti-Scene, and we were, you know, pretty new into punk rock. You know, we, we discovered all the big bands by then, you know, Misfits, Sex Pistols, Ramones, everybody, uh, but, you know, we didn't really know about local scene. We'd started to see about it in creative loafing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We saw these flyers for anti-scene and we'd a couple of trips down there. We kept seeing this and seeing people with shirts. And, so we decided we were going to buy the, this cassette right here. The, uh, is that the very one? Years. Yep. That's the one right there. <laughs> and, uh, so me and Matt both bought that that day and, and went up to the counter and Jimmy's like, Oh, anti-scene fans. We're like, yeah, we've heard a lot about them. But we've never heard them before. This would be our first time listening. He's like, Oh, that, in that case, and Joe was working in the store that day. <laughs> and he called Joe over. He's like, Joe, we got some new anti-scene fans over here. Come sign this cassette for them. And then I don't remember if you were already in there shopping or if you happened to walk in the door right then. Mm-hmm. But it, then it was like Joe turned around and was like, oh, there's Jeff. Jeff, come over here and sign this. And you guys were so cool to us that day. I think you guys were getting ready to play, and we came out and saw you. Um, I, I don't remember which show it was. We ended up coming to see you guys. But it was just you guys were so cool to us that day, and you didn't have to be. And, you know... You guys looked rough and tough, but you were like just as nice as you could be about everything. Just so generous. And, and that said, you know, left an impression with me, you know, we had started playing in a punk band and that was just like, man, if these guys can do it, we can do it too. So you got, you were very integral to my journey. And I just want to kind of put that out there. And yeah, that's, that's the cassette right there. Um, one of my treasures that I I will never part with. (laughs) That's great, man. So how, how did you get into music when you were a kid? What was some of the earliest stuff you listened to how big of a part did music play in your life? I imagine pretty big because of the stuff that you like. Well, you know, as a kid, uh, our family moved around a lot because my dad was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It was a whole lot of uh, always being a new kid and taking a while yeah, to get your footing and, and, and to make friends and stuff. And then as soon as you did, well, we're moving again, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. So I listened to a lot of records. And, and of course, when I was younger, like really young, it was all, you know, little kitty records and stuff. But I really took an interest in the ones that had more of a, a song and a beat to it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, maybe the one of the songs from the Jungle Book, the uh, Bare Necessities, yeah, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And uh, I raided my mom's uh, 45 holder and got some original uh, RCA Elvis records, some Fats Domino. And um, one record in particular that I liked being that young was uh by the cordettes mm-hmm. lollipop okay yeah this is 1957 i think mm-hmm. i still got that very single of hers yeah and it's got a burgundy and silver label and um so you know that was my first dip into it but then then uh i, I would hear songs on the radio 
you know, we always were always listening to the radio in mm-hmm. our house. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would know the songs I liked, but I didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Dad brought me home one of these things, a, a compilation record. It was called Summer 71. But it wasn't played by the original artist. It, it was covers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I've seen those records. But I was listening to it, and I'm going, there's something different. <laughs> but I can't <laughs> figure out what it is. <laughs> Maybe it just sounds different on the radio, you know. Uh, you know, then then I started getting a little bit more inquisitive and asking people, you know, who is this, you know, and all this. And I found out pretty early on I liked uh, Alice Cooper. Around that time, he had a, lo- a lot of songs on the radio. Yeah. So, so I liked Alice. I liked Grand Funk Railroad. I liked Black Oak, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Rick Derringer. And I think the first album I ever got that was truly mine. And and, and again, Dad, Dad did this because Dad was in the Air Force and he worked on bass and he would go to the px and get stuff dirt cheap bring it home and he brought me you know and i liked uh, joy to the world by uh three dog nine yep, yep. but instead of the single he just bought the whole album mm-hmm. listened to the whole thing i got to where i loved every bit of it mm-hmm. the next album i got was a billion dollar babies yeah by alice cooper i know every nuance of that record yeah, yeah. third album after that was uh grand funk shining on mm-hmm. and from there on man it was just like <laughs> Yeah. The floodgates were open. I always tended to gravitate toward uh, older. I, got, I guess they were kids then, but uh, to me, they looked like adults. Yeah. But I, I would gravitate toward them because I, I could ask them questions and they knew what I was talking about. You know, and they always thought I was that cool little kid that liked Graham Funk. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so that's, that's the early parts, you know, and then um, being a teenager and getting older, you know, you, then you start find out about all the uh rock music television shows like don kirshner mm-hmm. uh the midnight special yeah uh, in concert and you know through that i discovered a ton of stuff that i love yeah. you know and, and it wasn't all just like the hard rock or the weird stuff you know i mean i i watched that learned how to appreciate curtis mayfield mm-hmm. seals and crofts rita coolidge you know i mean i, I didn't have anyone in my ear Going, that's not cool. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it was basically just me. Mm-hmm. And so I just liked what I liked. I yeah. mean, that's where I've been all my life. Even when stuff was, you know, uh, when you got into a certain kind of music and you had to go a certain lockstep. Yeah. I never, never did that. I, I, I think for the brief moment that I discovered punk, I turned my back on everything. <laughs> but it, it didn't last long. Because I thought going, man, I really, I really like that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not like I don't. Matter of fact, the first uh, logo anti-scene ever had we were going to have a name it was going to be something like anti-scene's death train railroad yeah <laughs> and it was the grand funk uh, finger yeah. uh, sticker but we decided that was a little bit too much <laughs> but we did have death train all the way at the beginning yeah of course it didn't become a song until almost a decade later
Watching those shows, talking to people, going to, you know, hanging out at people's houses. And it really was going over, hey, man, I got a bunch of records. Oh, man, can I come over and yeah. see what you, you know, it was that it was that type of thing. You know, moving a lot, you got to discover a lot of different stuff in the different regions of the country that you would live in. And, and all depending on where they were from, you know. And then, um, like a thousand other bands, man, when we heard the Ramones. Yeah. It was a done deal then, man. I mean, like, we tried to start a band. We were listening to Ted Nugent and Aerosmith and Kiss. You know, we're just <laughs> sitting there with these guitars. How do you play like Ted Nugent? That's, that was me when I was first started trying to play guitar. It was like, <laughs> I wanted to be able to play like Eddie Van Halen or whoever I was listening to at that time. And it wasn't happening. So I put the guitar down for a little bit till I discovered punk rock and realized, oh, I can do this. Because <laughs> we, we were... We're taking a stab at Cat Scratch Fever, but it was just the riff. Dun, 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 mm-hmm. you know? we, we did that in our punk band too. So, <laughs> but any of the fillers, nah, it just weren't in our song. But uh, so, was, it was that a band you tried to put together before Anti Scene? Was there a name for that band? Did you? Uh, the very, very first band I ever had. We called ourselves Blue Spirit. Okay. We envisioned all of our equipment being blue. That would have been awesome. <laughs> you know, and uh, you're like ZZ Top with their matching. Yeah. <laughs> Or at the time, we were probably on that mindset of Angel. Yeah. And all their stuff being white. Yeah. You know, we were just like, man, what if ours was blue? <laughs> <laughs> then we were just kind of just throwing riffs together, not really doing a whole lot. Then we actually tried songs. Like I said, once we discovered the Ramones, and shortly after the Sex Pistols and uh, the Clash. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of split the band down the middle. Who's going this way and who's going to stay there? You know, two of them stayed there and three of us went this way. Yeah. So we got a drummer that was also on that same wavelength. And this was in a small town in North Carolina. This was in, in Albemarle. And I actually lived in New London, yeah. which is an even it's smaller hard, town yeah. outside the small town of Albemarle. So there were people there with that, that, that were into this new thing that was going on. The good thing about it is by the time we got into it, it wasn't already passe. It wasn't like... A thing in the past. It was something we could see developing then. Mm. And that's only because of our age, kind of right place, right time. Yeah. I, I never condemn people for not having been around. I know people like to do that. I don't like to do that yeah. because yeah. You, you turn people off. Exactly. When the stuff comes out, it's, it's, it's for everybody forever. And I don't care how you get into it or what band gets you into it. Wherever you got started, that's cool. So if it was Green Day that turned you on to punk rock, it's, hey, that's, that's fine. I got no problem. That's where you got to start, man. And 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 I think I try to explain this to other people I know from time to time, and they don't quite get a grasp of it. But man, I I try to tell them. I said, "Look, man, I'm I'm going to use Green Day as an example. Some kid that discovers one of the Green Day albums, it's the first thing he's heard like that. Besides, you know, stuff that's influenced by hip hop, yeah, or auto tune country, Mm -hmm. and he hears that, man." That has the exact same awakening effect on that kid yep. that getting Kiss Alive had on me. Yeah. And people are just like, no, it's not. That. No, it is the same. It's, it's, exactly all, the same. It, it's all on how and when you discover it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm one of those guys, I don't watch wrestling now. Yeah. I love wrestling, but I don't watch it now. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't have the same appeal to me. Same here. I used to, I loved it as a kid. I loved it again. Like in the nineties, it got pretty good mm-hmm. again. And then just what they're doing today just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about it is I don't expect them to change to cater to me. Yeah. Cause I'm not going, I'm not going around buying their, 
Slurpee cups for eighteen ninety nine, yeah. or you know, I, I I'm not their demographic anymore. Yeah. So I don't expect it to bend to me, but I do realize that there's some kid that has his favorite wrestler, and he sees a match, and man, he's going to remember that mm-hmm. until he's an old man. Yep. Oh, I, I saw the blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> but he's going to be talking about guys now. Yeah. And it it it, it just happens that way, and you, you can't stop it, and, and and you can't make people get the same. Uh, I'm going to sound all hippy dippy now, but that same <laughs> magical feeling. Yeah. Like the thing that maybe at first turned me on with that, that just like, I was just like, this is it, man. I got, I, I, I got to get all of this I can. Might not be the same to you. Yeah. You may have seen the exact same thing. It didn't have that impact. Yeah, we can go around and around with this. Yeah. And I was going to say, as far as that's concerned, my, my stories are kind of a lot like yours. I, my, I listened to like Alvin and the Chipmunks and stuff when I was a kid. I, mm-hmm. I just love music. But then my cousin turned me on to Kiss and gave me a copy of Double Platinum because he didn't want it anymore. He didn't like mm-hmm. them. I don't know how he ended up with it, but he didn't like them. So he gave it to me, and that was that was it for me. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. But really, it wasn't until Alice Cooper, my dad went to go see him in concert sometime in the early 80s. And uh, I was like, who are you going to go see? You know, I got super interested in this. He's like, well, I've got the records here. And I, I'd already kind of dug into his collection a little bit. But up until that point, I wasn't quite old enough to play the records mm-hmm. on my own. And then I got free reign of his records. And I put on Billion Dollar Babies, and then I put on Killers. And that was really what cemented the deal for me. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, so there was Kiss. I love Kiss, but also I was getting in all kinds of pop stuff at that time as mm-hmm. a kid and some hip-hop and stuff, and then uh, or rap, what we called it at the time. And um, then Alice Cooper was like, yeah, rock and roll. I'm going to be it. this is rock and roll is what I want. Mm-hmm. So very similar to what you – but the whole time, like, I've, I've listened to all kinds of bands growing up. I mean, even today I listen to my, – my musical taste is real varied. And we'll talk about one of those bands in a little bit. Um, but it's uh, – so I, I respect that about you. I think it's really cool that our stories kind of, they're not going to be similar all the way through, but that our origins are, are pretty similar. Well, I mean, think about it. We we basically grew up in the same region. Mm-hmm. Ten years apart, but. Ten years apart, but I mean, things didn't change much in that ten. Yeah. Things changed pretty rapidly now in, you know, a year or two. But back then, you know, the, the progress is still kind of chugging along. So I'm, I imagine your experience was pretty much exactly like that. Yeah, and even down to the, you know, I grew up in Kings Mountain, a small mm-hmm. town outside of a small town outside mm-hmm. of Gastonia. And uh, me and a handful of friends found it. We started, tried to start our first, pay- everything, everything. It was just kind of very, the, the stories mirror each other quite a bit. I know we could talk about that like all day long. <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to add to that or that you didn't get around to saying that you wanted, thought you might want to say? Something I thought was funny during that, that age of discovery mm-hmm. is, is the things that you kind of insisted upon but you were wrong yeah like i love that song rock and roll hoochie coo so much well it's got to be alice cooper yeah because <laughs> i never told the name the story before yeah they never told the name on the radio yeah you know it, and i was just like damn that rocks that rocks like hell it's gotta be alice yeah <laughs> until midnight special comes on one night and i see edgar winter mm-hmm. and rick derringer and his band and they play rock and roll hoochie coo and i'm just like <laughs> okay i guess it's not alice then. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I used to see pictures of Ian Hunter. And you know who I, think, who I thought Ian Hunter was? I mean, I could have read the flying print, but, you know, I was, I was a kid, man. I was, yeah. I was, it turned on by the, well, you know, the, the the big sonic boom you got from the pictures, you know, the, mm. the guitars, you know, the hair slinging all over the place. I thought Ian Hunter was Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> Not Robert Plant. I knew Robert Plant was a guy, but I thought 
Ian Hunter, that's lead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found out later, well, he's not Led Zeppelin, he's Mott the Hoople, and he's not even Mott. So, yeah. <laughs> so was Anti-Scene your first real band, or do you have anything else between that? Um, well, I had, and, there was Blue Spirit. Or Blue Spirit, I'm sorry. I said Blue Mist. That, that's, that was that's, the, a, that's, that's the water at the milestone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a basement living room band. We never ventured out of those two spots. Then we had Kamikaze. That's what we became when we discovered punk. We were Kamikaze. We got that because of the red sun and the Japanese letters. Mm-hmm. We kind of got from the Clash's imagery. You know, they were doing yeah. that kind of yeah. military thing around giving them enough rope yeah. going into London Calling. We were real influenced by that. But at the same time, we were doing Kamikaze. We were, we were doing stuff that was, you know, basically... A derivative of uh, 77 through 79 punk. Yeah. But around this time, I'd already discovered uh, Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and mm-hmm. Fear and Germs. And, and so that short, that shorter, faster, louder type thing was kind of getting a hold of me. So I kind of formed a side band over there called The Wreck. I mean, Kamikaze only played one time. And that was at a Norwood JC's talent show. Okay. We were treated real bad. It was an early experience about the music business, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. It kind of set in stone the way things would be for the rest of uh, the time. Yeah. Most people that I knew at the time, if that experience had happened to them, mm-hmm. they'd have been like, to hell with this, man. Yeah. I'm not doing this. I think I know some people that got turned off pretty early because yeah. of just a bad experience. It made me more determined. Yeah. I've never really been turned off by bad experiences like that. I always try to figure out, well, okay, well, how could I have handled that different? Mm-hmm. And how could I make sure that didn't happen to me? Yeah. Over the years, man, we we were the band that you didn't dare rip off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so after Kamikaze and The Wreck, The Wreck only played live two times. Mm-hmm. And it was all there in, in Albemarle. You know, so it, I got pictures. I don't have any recordings of those shows. It would have been awesome to have those. Yeah. Actually, I think, I did, I think that Kamikaze uh, show is on tape somewhere. I'd mm. love to come across it. Yeah. I'll put that out, you know. <laughs> After that, I moved to Charlotte, had a hardcore band for a minute called Fight for Life. Biggest thing we did was we opened for a minor threat. Oh, wow. Yeah. At, and, the, uh, at the milestone? Yeah. yeah. And man, if, if I'm not mistaken, that was the only only show we did. Things just seem to happen. Like like, you know, like now, you say, well, you know, that was two years ago. And, you know, a, a lot cannot happen in two years. Yeah. Real life kind of takes over. But back then, man, it just seemed like you get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Like in a year, like if you say, well, that was a year ago, that seemed like so long ago. Yeah. But my, my wheels started turning about anti-scene very quickly. Had you already met Joe at this point? Or? No. When I met Joe, that's when the... Well, I, okay, let me take that back. Okay. I, I had a guy that had been hanging around that um, was from Fayetteville named Don Motes. And me and him kind of had the nucleus of anti-Saint going. But okay. man, one day he just disappeared. Yeah. Like when I never heard from him again. 
<laughs> Turns out he went over to uh, Grenada. Oh, wow. And, uh, I mean, eventually he got back in touch years later, and I guess he was a little put off that the band kept going. But I'm like, <laughs> what was I supposed to do? I, I, you know, I, I never heard from you. Yeah. Not a postcard, nothing, you know. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm halfway around the world. So I, I, I kept going. I, and then that's another thing, you know. It's just like before my project even gets started, it gets cut off at the knees. And what mm. do you do? I mean, do you just go, oh, forget it? Yeah. No, I never did that. I never said just forget it. Yeah. That's never been in my DNA, I guess. I'm, I mean, I, I don't like problems just like anybody don't. But yeah. when they come up, you know, I'm not ready to wave the white flag because of the problem. It's just it's like a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is something to avoid next time or something yeah. to, to fix. And, man, for the longest time, the, our stock answer, you know, like people go, so you guys have been together five years. What makes you keep going, you know? Because of all the people that hate us. And if we packed it in now, they'd get some kind of satisfaction out of it. So yeah. we keep going. Same answer. So you've been together 10 years now. <laughs> now so you've been together 37 years now. <laughs> Since anti-scene, I've done a few side things. Uh, yeah, I'd written that down, like Judas Bullethead, Jeff Leppard. Yeah, Jeff Leppard, Judas Bullethead. Jeff Dan, uh, the Mongrels. The Mongrels, the 13 Dead Things. Yep, I remember that band. There, are there any recordings of 13 Dead Things? Man, there used to be a damn good video of uh, well, the best show we did as that band at the at Heretics. Yeah, that might be what they, where these pictures are from, actually. Uh, um, I'll pull them out. Go ahead and pull those out. You can have all these pictures if you want them. Really? Yeah, I've got I've got doubles of all of them. Oh, okay, so. man, that's great. Thank you. Even these blurry pictures of uh, the Cheapo show, which because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about Repo and Repo Cheapo. I, I oh, don't okay. think I even wrote that down, but um, that was one of those things I was going to. This is not the Thirteen Dead Things show I'm referring to. Yeah, but this was the night that we played. I think that was a show that Popes on Dope played as well. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, the flyer. Yeah, yeah, the the werewolf. Yeah, I think carrying well, the girl. I, I think I think that was the anti scene show, but I think I, I might be wrong about that. I'd have to go back. The anti scene show. It was the Furies, Pope's on Dope. It was and like us. a Halloween show, and I think it was a GG Tombstone benefit show. Yeah, that's when we the whole, we played like two songs, and our guitarist broke a string and couldn't get his guitar back in tune after that. And we just got off the stage. <laughs> It's like, oh man, we got to play with Anti-Scene for like a song and a half. And then like like all the pool cues were getting broken and yeah. chairs. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was a wild night. I remember the the guy that owned Heretics, his name was Kevin. Yep. His bouncers and stuff said, well, what do you want us to do? You know, he said, just let it go. <laughs> he said, just let it burn out. <laughs> I was like, God, I'm and I may be wrong about Popes on Dope playing on that show. I, I just no, remember I, I think you were. Yeah. I think you did. It's on the flyer. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I appreciate you letting me have these. You're my drunk brother. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we, we kind of got sidetracked there, but we were talking about 13 Dead Things. and uh, 13 Dead Things? Yeah. Uh, 13 Dead Things was me and my brother. Yeah. Uh, Charles Inman. And he wasn't in another band. Uh, Dave Rames, who was in uh, that's right, yeah, he, yeah. in Dragonflowers, yeah, and uh, Scott Mosley, who was not in any other band. And uh, so I guess on in those pictures, you must have just been like singing while I was while singing with the, the Furies, Furies playing, doing yeah. something with okay. the Furies. I, yeah. I couldn't remember. It was so long ago, and uh, I think my friend Matt mentioned Thirteen Dead Things a while back. I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> it didn't last very long, but yeah. man, we we had enough stuff. We actually were thinking about recording and putting out a, a EP, you know, seven inch, but we never we never made it that far. We 
would have been good to have. I mean, it was a fun thing to do. So how did you meet Joe? And I guess that was the beginning of like what anti-scene became. Before I moved to Charlotte, I started in 81. First time I ever went to the Milestone, 1981. Yeah. And saw Black Flag. Okay. Damage Tour. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what, that, what, what idea I had a punk rock club looked like, but the Milestone was not it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we must have passed the place 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> we went, like, the, we, the first time we went, we actually went a week ahead just to kind of scope out the place and see what it was like. Because we were young. We were like, yeah. can we even go to this place? Because they had the Sunday night matinee shows that were all ages. I think we were 17. It was like, so we went check it out. Okay, this is where it's at. What is this place? This is kind of a dump. <laughs> but we had practiced in, like, an old rundown house at one point and threw a show there. And when we went inside, it reminded me of that. And I was like, okay, this is home. Yep, and uh, man, well, I, ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you, we were scared to death. Yeah. It was just me and one other guy from Albemarle, you know, and we were just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the strobe lights on the top of the thing. Yeah, I've heard about that. And then getting in, you know, getting in that doorway, paying Bill Flowers there at the window. <laughs> yeah. But man, once it, once it started happening, man, we were just like, you know, okay, you know, this is, this is something I could get used to, you know? Yep. <laughs> and, uh. Boy, when they played, it was like, ah, mighty. That lineup, that five-piece lineup, mm-hmm. right after Damage, or I guess they played on Damage. I guess that five-piece lineup did Damage, yeah, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. God, it was awesome. Yeah, I'd love to have seen that. Closest I got was seeing Flag a few years ago, and that was a badass show. Yeah. Hey, you were there. That was good. Yeah. That was really good. But, you know, you I was looking at it through, through eyes that saw it from then, and it was still real good. Yeah. So... And after that, I and then I moved to Charlotte, where I was going to CPCC mm-hmm. in uh, commercial art, uh, advertising design. Mom said she would subsidize the whole thing as long as I was going. Man, it took about a year, and I got the rock and roll bug. Yeah, <laughs> that's when she's just like, "Okay, I'm done. Yeah, you got You got to do it on your own." So, okay, I got. I know I got to get a job. Man, I had all kind of jobs. God, mighty. I worked at Seven um, Eleven. Mm. I worked at a place called a Consolidated Alloys. It's a place that bought scrap aluminum. Okay. Well, I was in charge of aluminum. They bought everything. I never seen so many rats in my life. God damn! <laughs> my most infamous job that I had was um, the the Joy Adult Bookstore that used to be on oh, Independence yeah, Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I eventually moved in there and lived there. Crazy man! I, I think remember. about shit I did now. I'm just like, what the hell? I can't remember who it was. A while back, I said something about interviewing you. They're like, you need to ask him to tell, tell stories from the bookstore, the adult bookstore. Like, <laughs> we might do that. We might save that for like a second episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole episode. Because I, I was thinking that might be like take up all the time we have to talk. God, it was nuts. It was insane. It was really insane. Yeah. And I was just like, God damn. But I'm, I mean, I'm glad I did it now. But. Would I do it again? No fucking way. <laughs> that was, you know, around that time, 86. See, man, we really didn't have anybody to pull us aside and say, Here, well, here's what you go, here's what you do next. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. And we finally met that person that did that. Yeah. And that was Scott Savage. Okay. It, um, from the band The Streets. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we would go see them. Eventually, Scott, you know, was letting me tag along. I was pumping equipment. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> Scott would get so out of control and piss so many people off at him that he kind of wanted me to be his bodyguard. 
they, you know, Scott had put out records. And so that was the next, next logical step for us. Yeah. He, he had his hands in that all the way until it came out, you know. So we had finally had someone to give us some kind of direction. Yeah. But I think you asked beginning how I met Joe. Um, we were, you know, we, of course, you know, I moved to Charlotte. We go to the Milestone every weekend. Mm-hmm. We didn't care who was playing. Yeah. The thing was, see you at the Milestone, Friday and Saturday. Saw a ton of bands. I didn't know who they were until I walked in. Man, some of them were great. Yeah. Some of them were fucking terrible. Yeah. But... <laughs> But it was it was just where everybody met, and I guess from there you decided how the rest of the weekend was going to go. You know, uh, one night I went, and there was a group from New York, and I and I think at this point I was still living at home. I don't think I had moved moved to Charlotte yet. But we went to see this band called the Stimulators. Okay. And for anyone that don't know who that is, Harley Flanagan was their drummer when he was only like thirteen years old. Oh wow. <laughs> But but by the time they had toured they toured the country, he wasn't in that band anymore. There's another guy playing drums. But um, but we went and saw them, you know. And uh, this was also a time when it seemed like a band wouldn't care that there was only thirty people there. Yeah. Because we had a damn good time. Mm-hmm. The band had fun. We had fun. This was before the time of walking in and putting your hands in your pocket and staring at them. Yeah. <laughs> We were there to have a good time, yeah. and goddamn, we were going to no matter what. And it was that way with every band. I was somewhere along the line, it, it, the Denver switch got turned down on that whole go ape shit crazy every time you go somewhere. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you only do that for so long. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was young, I was like, man, if the, the way you can tell you had a good time as a show is if you can't walk the next day. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, once we once we got got direction. As I say, the death train's been going ever since. Talked to it, mentioned a little while ago. You went to school for for art, and that was one of the things that when I was talking to John, he suggested I ask you about it's like all, all the artwork that you've done because you've done a lot of stuff for Anti Scene, for Seducer, for Jimmy, for you know, for a lot of different bands and a lot of different people. Yeah, and it's man, really I, cool stuff too. And I, the street clones, it's all I, I love. I've always loved your artwork. Well, I appreciate that, man. I don't do nowhere near as much of it as, as I wish I could. Time was uh, my best time to do artwork for me was late at night. Mm-hmm. But when you get up at four o'clock in the morning, yeah. you go to work. There is no late at night late anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes me a while to even get something together. I'm supposed to be doing something for um, Queen City Rejects and the fill-ins, a split that they're doing. Yeah, and I have drugged my feet now for I don't even, man. They may have already put the damn thing <laughs> out and it already sold out. Going into a second pressing for all I know. <laughs> I don't think so, but uh, I mean, actually, I know it's not out yet, but I, I do know that they were talking about it. Yeah, well, I, I committed to doing it, and yeah. here we are. <laughs> but that was also before, you know, the world got turned upside down. Too. Yeah, that, that put a halt on a lot of things. And, that put know, a slow- that, that really put a – I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't – I wouldn't have – if you'd asked me then, I wouldn't have said, yeah, but in hindsight, it messed with my creativity. Mm-hmm. It really made me just kind of want to – 
I mean, I wasn't hiding under a rock or nothing, but I just didn't want to do nothing. That's the hardest part I have. It's like, so I started this in December of last year and just had gotten it going good when everything happened. And it's mm-hmm. like, especially I'm doing a zine part of it as well. Right. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. having the hardest time getting the second issue out because I just not motivated to do it because there's no shows to go to, to hand them out at, even like take them to the record store. It's, I mean, how many people are really going shopping these days? I mean, I know that Jimmy's still doing okay. People are buying records, but it's hard for me to get motivated to do that part of it. Now, this part of it is actually kind of picked up mm-hmm. because of the fact that I can do things online. So that really didn't slow down too much. As a matter of fact, I started doing a little bit more of it. But even still, like sometimes it's just hard for me to get in the mind frame of sitting down and editing it. I need breaks every now and then. And that's, that's been the worst part about all this. I kind of don't mind the slowdown so much. I feel like everybody could take a little bit of time to slow down, but I'm ready to get back at it. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, when everybody else is ready, I guess. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't want to rush into it. I don't want to be like, the one out there going, come see my show. Yeah. And having people go, I don't know if we should be going out right now. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird time. Weird, uh, I guess, tightrope to walk or whatever. That's how come we did those, uh, you were the one Facebook broadcast show. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like, I was watching people doing it. And I was like, oh, this is a good idea, I think. And um, I'm watching them. I didn't like the aspect of them, like, inviting you into their practice place and then just watching them practice. Mm-hmm. You know, just being real funny about it. and Yeah. I was like, man, if we're going to do it, I said, I wanted to be like, you know, they paid to come see the show. Yeah. And I said, if we fuck up, no stopping. We're not going to go back and do it again. We're not, we're not going to acknowledge it. We're just going to keep plowing through. Like you're playing a show. Song one to last song. Mm-hmm. Just blaze through. And after giving that speech, turns out I was the one that fucked up more than anybody. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we got one coming up on the 25th of October. and uh, Is that one going to be on Facebook as well, or are you doing it? Yeah, it's going to yeah. be on Facebook. Unless there's some kind of weird thing they got going on. I think from what I've heard that live performances are still okay. They just don't want people like, I was doing the little radio thing for a while where I just get on and I play music. On, on Saturday nights, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they want people doing that, right? Because that's basically they're they're facilitating a pirate radio station, right? They, basically, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And and I, and I told the guys that I said I think they they're talking about when you play because I don't know if you know this or not, but like I, I don't think it would work on that cassette right there. Yeah. But if you took a CD, mm-hmm. especially, or if you were uh, streaming it off of Spotify, yeah. since that's all digital information. There's a code in that. Well, there's that. There's also like some sometimes stuff from cassettes will um, like because I digitize a bunch of stuff from cassette, mm-hmm. cassette and played it. But basically, like you know that program Shazam, you can get on your phone or yeah. SoundHound. Mm-hmm. They basically listen to a song and identify beat patterns and stuff and tell you what song you listen to. It's the same technology they've got. So I could play something that was you know 30 years old, but if it's been distributed through Spotify or something like mm-hmm. that, no matter what source I took it from, I would get a warning sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it'd take them a while to catch up to it. A lot of times, like my replays would be like they'd be muted all the way through. Like a bunch of different songs would be muted because it was bands that their filter picked up, and a lot of it was still stuff like Van Huskins. Mm-hmm. It would do it for Van Huskins because we distributed through Spotify. Now I own the rights to that music. You know, I'm in that band, but Facebook was still telling me you can't play that. So it's it's like I get the reason for it, and you know, it's good for bands that make money off their music. The bands I was playing was all local bands, it's mostly older stuff, and you know. Bands are my friends and stuff, mm-hmm. and they'd be listening, but Facebook would say, you can't play their stuff. <laughs> and yeah. I, I get it. I mean, I, I completely understand. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care if, but you know, people do it do it for us. But I don't know. I mean, we were concerned that we'd be in you know two songs deep into the show, and then they'd block it. Yeah, because like when I got my um, cases, I just showed you my with all my action figures and my Japanese stuff in. Mm-hmm. When I got those set up, I was kind of doing a video showing it, and I had uh, Prince playing in the background. Yeah, wasn't even thinking about it. I, it wasn't intentional. It was just playing. It was, mm-hmm. and I'm filming it, and all of a sudden, this this video has been interrupted. You know, I'm just like, what the hell? I said, it's got to be that music. Yeah. So that's did it again I, without it, and everything was fine. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. But when you're playing live, it's not going to be a carbon copy of what the yeah, and, 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 the, and it won't it won't have that. Um, I forget what they call that code. Yeah, it? whatever. I, that, I'm using that for lack of a better word. I don't know what it is, but that coding. Yeah. It yeah. won't be there. Yeah. So. so that was you said that was October 25th. Yeah. yeah. Sunday. Eight o'clock. So your thirty seventh anniversary was just a couple of days ago, right? As far as like the anniversary of your first show. What was the first? Uh, was, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was Thursday. Thursday was the yeah, first. Today's the third. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Thursday was thirty seven years since we played our first show. Mm-hmm. You played in Boone. Was that in Boone, North Carolina, at a place called the Barn, and it was an actual barn. Okay. Converted into a club. Eventually converted into a home. Was it like in like the town of Boone, or was that kind of out in the country? Man, I'm trying to because I, 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 I used to spend a lot of time in Boone. I'm just trying to picture if I knew where, about where it was. You know, when you go through that main, the main road when you're going from anywhere mm-hmm. to go into Boone, yeah, you know where that Wendy's was, the double decker Wendy's. Yes, yeah. You turn left there, yeah, before you get to the college. Okay, yeah. You go there. There was a road that went up the mountain, and that's where it was at the time. I've I've been there uh, half a dozen times trying to find it. And I couldn't find it. Yeah. But a guy that lives around there sent me a picture of it and says, man, there it is. There's the roof. Like, it's dilapidated. Yeah. Where before, there might have been like seven houses on that whole mountain, mm-hmm. that whole part of the mountain. Now, there's about seven deep. Oh, yeah. I haven't been up there in a while. I drove through there six or seven years ago, but it changed so much then. I've heard it's changed even more now. I love that area. Mm-hmm. I don't care much for the college or nothing, but. I just love, I love that whole area of the country. Yeah. I had some buddies that went to school up there. So I spent a lot of time up there back in the early 90s. Did you ever go to the Klondike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Went there quite a bit. Saw flat door jets there. We played there a lot. Where I saw Boyle at one time. It was, that was a pretty cool place. Yeah. I liked it. See, in Boone, we played, you know, we played the barn. And then later, years later, we played the Klondike. Mm-hmm. One time, we played in this theater, a movie theater. They, they were actually playing um, a, a movie that had. Uh, Jeff Bridges in it as a country singer. And then we played after the movie. Yeah. And uh, that was fun. But that was the only time we ever played there. It was shut down. And we played um, Black Cat Burrito. Yeah. And we could talk about anti-scene all day and keep going with that. But uh, like I said. Yeah, let's talk about other stuff. I was going to say, like I said, when we were walking in here before that set up, you know, talk about that all the time. Yeah. There's plenty of interviews out there.
things I want to talk about. Daryl Hall and John Oates. Yeah. So you're one of the few people in the punk rock scene, I'll say, that's as open about liking them as I am. Mm-hmm. That was like the, the first concert I saw when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I saw them at uh, the Coliseum in Charlotte on the Big Bamboo Tour. Right. Uh, my brother won tickets. We, my, Me and my family came to Charlotte one time for something. I don't remember what. Just randomly. We didn't come out, out often, but we stopped at the... Uh, was it Record Bar on Independence, or was that Camelot? The one on Independence? Yeah. The, it the started out as Grapevine, and yeah. then became Camelot. Camelot. It was Camelot. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was Camelot or, or Record Bar when I went. I know where you'd think it was Record Bar. It's same same setup. Yeah, uh, basically. White background, yeah. red letters. Yeah. It looked just like Record yeah. Bar. So we went, we stopped by in there, and they were had a display set up where you could win tickets to see Daryl Hall and John Oates. And I was a huge fan at the time. Just loved them. And so me and my brother both entered. And a couple of days later, we get a call, and my brother had won tickets. Mm-hmm. I was mad. He he wasn't gonna let me go because there were two <laughs> tickets. So my dad was gonna take him. My brother wasn't really that big of a fan, but he he won the ticket, so he wasn't gonna let me go. So my dad went. They were sold out. My dad went to the Coliseum the day of the concert. Stood in line, and once they got the stage set up, I guess they released some tickets, extra tickets, and they released them behind the stage. Mm-hmm. And so he bought two tickets, and we went that night. And the two tickets, the seats behind the stage were better than the ones that we'd won. They were like up in the bleachers. <laughs> so me and my mom sat up in the bleachers. Or the nosebleed or whatever. For the first band, which was General Public, opened up. And then we met my dad and my brother. Later, they were sitting behind the stage. And they're like, you should come back here. There's two seats beside us. They're empty. If anybody comes in, we'll somehow leave. The whole time, we sat back there right behind the stage. Those four seats, nobody ever came up. Me and my brother both at one time, or separate times, reached out as John Oates was running up the riser at the back of the stage. Mm -hmm. Reached out. He handed both of us a guitar pick. Really? (laughs) So when I saw John Oates a few years ago at... uh, Don Gibson Theater in Shelby. Yeah. I took that pick with me. And after the show, I got to talk to him. And I told him a story about how he handed it to me like 28 years ago. I think it's what, how long ago it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Anyway, how, how he had handed it. And I, I said, no, I'm handing it back to you now. I said, but I'm not going to let you keep it. I want it back. I said, but can you autograph it? <laughs> and he pulled out a silver Sharpie and he wrote out like a J-O on it handed it back to me. That's cool. So the fact that I saw them from my very first concert, cemented my love for them. I still love them today. So I think it's really cool that you like them too. Mm-hmm. I know there's there's so many people that think I like it to be uh, 
sarcastic or ironic or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. just to be kind of a joke. And, and that's not true, man. I, I love them. Mm-hmm. I, I love those records. Yeah. People can say what they want, but Darren Hall is one of the best soul singers out there. Oh, yeah. You know? He really is. John Oates is uh, an incredible songwriter. Damn good singer himself, mm-hmm. you know? But there there is something that happens when those two guys sing together, you yeah. know? It's something that they, they can't reproduce on their own. Yeah. And I love it. I know, like today, it's it's not it's not quite that uncommon to find people that admit to liking them, mm-hmm. but you don't find too many people that'll put on like the War Babies album on a, on a Saturday afternoon or something. Right. So it's cool that, like I said, that you're so open about liking them. It makes me feel a little bit better about because for a long time I was kind of embarrassed to admit that I liked them because people made fun of them all the time, like mm-hmm. you know, fifteen twenty years ago. It's like I can't be Paul this fan and and being punk rock and. Then I got to where I just didn't care anymore. But you know what, man? It just kind of goes back to anti-scene for a second. But that's the whole anti-scene, the whole credo, man. Mm-hmm. That little thought you just you said you had back then. Yeah. We were against all that. You know what? If you like Hall Notes, I damn get a Hall Notes tattoo, motherfucker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, we didn't care. Yeah. I think it's like you said a while ago. Like, when you first got into punk rock, for a minute, that's all you you were all about. Same with us. Like, when we were in high school, we f- figured out what this punk rock stuff was. And it, it got us and then we looked around and we saw all, of, all these people we went to school with that we didn't really care for that much anyway liking bands like acdc which i love acdc now mm-hmm. i liked them at the time but all of a sudden it was like oh we can't like that shit anymore. Mm-hmm. so uh but it wasn't too long before we were like listening to all the stuff that we listened to before yeah, as we, we re- re-embraced it and actually re- you know expanded a little bit it definitely created a us and them everybody mm-hmm. that was into the old way was them yeah everyone's new stuff was us yeah it's just a rite of passage i think you go through when you get into this stuff yeah. something brand new like that you know i never really kind of got that whole elitist attitude about it and stuff like even even when people make fun of like we again to mention green day and like, well, not, not that we need to keep mentioning them or anything but even back in the, at the time I, I actually like you know they're not like my favorite man but i can listen to them but back at the time a lot of people like just immediately started trashing them people that got into punk rock because of green day mm-hmm. i'm like i just don't understand that that's the reason you're here i get that they got popular and put out that one song really blew them up and everybody turned on them but yeah that, that's just the wrong attitude to have and I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of those people have now come around to understand that but i guess that is like you said that rite of passage mm-hmm. where you kind of have to shun the popular stuff and say, yeah say, nah, you always I'm, come back around yeah. and you know usually it's a it's a cleansing thing maybe some of the stuff you thought you liked just because you were kind of going along with the crowd mm-hmm. and maybe you left it behind but the stuff that you were really part of you always comes back oh, yeah because yeah. there's some stuff i listened to before i got into punk rock that i do not listen to now because it just wasn't really that much a part of me yeah exactly i mean you know it's it's trial it's, it's all trial and error like back then you couldn't sample something before you bought it you bought it basically on something you read something your friend said or you just thought the record was yeah, the, re- the cover looked cool. That was a lot of a lot of records I thought. Hey, this looks like it's going to be good. Might hear one song on the radio from something and go, "Oh, I like that." Most of the time, you buy those records, you'd end up hating. The ones <laughs> that you bought based on the cover, a lot of times, the best record you ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> you're a fan of you know all kinds of music, but you're also a big fan of like Japanese monster movies. Mentioned wrestling a little while ago. Yeah, Planet of the Apes. I'm 
Godzilla is a big one I know. John Bowman told me that I should ask you about the about the monster toys. All the Godzilla stuff? Yeah, like he said something about some kids on base had some toys from Exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um I can't believe I told him this. But um from the time I was born until nineteen seventy four, we lived in a mobile home. Yeah. And I was born in Panama City, Florida. We stayed on base there and we would come back to North Carolina. Because that was my mom and dad's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both lived in New London. And our grandparents had land big enough that they could park the trailer on yeah. until dad got his next assignment. He usually got a couple remote or overseas assignments, and we didn't go on those. Like, he was stationed in Alaska. He was stationed in uh, Iceland. Mm-hmm. We stayed in North Carolina for those. Then, you know, then we moved down to Mississippi, and that was the last move for us. We uh, Oh, and, and Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, outside of Baltimore. But when we moved, when, when we were stationed down in Mississippi, man, that that was um, that would have been seventy, a little bit of seventy two, okay, all of seventy three, and most of seventy four. Yeah, and I consider that to be the time in my life that shaped my interest all the way until today. Yeah, because that that's when all that shit got a hook in me. Yeah, Alice, you know, the Planet of the Apes movies had wrapped up, and they had the TV series, mm-hmm. you know, and I and you know, I've been going to see the Planet of the movies in the theaters when they came out since 71. Yeah. I, I, man, it's just basically, it's basically like uh, 73 is the year where, it, <laughs> like, there's this big hypodermic needle that says, this is your <laughs> DNA, kid. <laughs> right into you. You know, and, uh, and, and now all of it is with me. Even stuff back then that I didn't really pay attention to because I figured that's either for grown-ups or adults or old people or mm-hmm. girls or whatever. I mean, now it's just like, I don't know, if you look around close enough in this house, man, it looks like a pop culture collection from 73. Yeah. I mean, even even the dishes my, my wife has, mm-hmm. they're, they're all from the 70s. Everything. Yeah. You know, it's like that era, man, just defined it all. And one thing that I was into Ultraman. Yeah. Had been since the late 60s. It was made in 66, 67. But for some reason, that one show was exported from Japan to America mm-hmm. and given the um, English voiceovers. And it played on syndicated TV, which uh, back then meant either late night, early morning, or UHF. Yeah. They still were still showing it in the, when I was a kid, too. So I remember yeah. watching that. And man, I just, you know, because I loved Godzilla movies and stuff. And. I thought that's all there was. Mm-hmm. Now I see this, and I'm just like, man, you know, it, I didn't care if they were stamping on cardboard boxes with flash pots in them. It, to me, it was <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I thought oh, Ultraman, I was like, you know, so I like Ultraman, and I like Godzilla, and Rodan, you know, and mm-hmm. King Ghidorah, and all that stuff. But uh, I met these kids. Their dad was stationed in uh, Okinawa. Yeah. And man, they had all this stuff. Man. It was all Japanese shit. They had Godzilla shit, Ultraman shit, and then they turned me on to this new thing called Cayman Rider. He's on the motorcycle, looked like a bug, had all these uh, arch enemy monsters that wore big belts that looked like wrestling, and I was, I was like, oh man, that was too much for my young mind, you know? It's like, 
good gosh, it's hard for me to process what Tina Louise does to me. I'm like, <laughs> oh, now I got to mess with this. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and of course, you know, being friend, we traded stuff and they gave me some Cayman Rider cards, a couple figures and stuff. And, uh, and man, it's like I went the rest of my life. I, I never saw those, those guys again. Mm-hmm. You know, we were stationed down there. They were stationed. I think they moved first. It, it, and I, and I, I would eventually find that stuff again. Yeah. But, man, I'm telling you, it wasn't until the early 90s when I actually saw with my saw eyes it. a episode of yeah. that show. You know? It was, um, it was harder to find stuff like that before yeah. then. And then in the 90s, stuff like that was easier. To- but I'm telling you, it just blew my mind, man. It's like, because these kids had a lot of good shit. And, and man, I just loved all the... All the, that lettering. Yeah. I just, I loved everything about that. Because even, even even back then, I was, um, I, I had some kind of attraction to, to Japan. And I guess that came through Godzilla and Ultraman. I, mean, I know that sounds silly, because you're not going to go over there and see a giant monster. Well, I did, and I did see one. Yeah. I was happy as I could be. But uh, <laughs> I guess stuff just, just attracted me to that culture. Their, their, their whole, I mean, because... Uh, I think in pop culture, I don't, I don't know the, so much they were behind as they were in lockstep with us. Mm. The bright colors, the, the bubble letters, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff that was going on. And so, I mean, you know, I guess I, they could have been behind. That may have been here more so in the 60s, but in, in the early 70s, it was still prevalent. Yeah. And, and I loved all, I loved all that imagery, all that, all that Japanese lettering imagery and, uh, every, all of it was cool. The, the character designs were always cool. So seeing toys of, of characters and, not being able to see the cartoon, like, or, or not the cartoon, but the show, mm-hmm. it's kind of mind blowing. Like, I want this, but you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you when you watch the shows and they they're playing with figures on the show, but they're about as tall, and you're yeah. like, where the hell? <laughs> and you know, when I finally made it over there, mm-hmm. man, I had a pocket full of money. I bet so. Took empty suitcases. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I wish I had. Yeah. But uh, I'd have like worn the clothes on my back and then empty suitcases to bring stuff back. <laughs> man, he, I'll tell you what happened though. You know, I figured I'd find some some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like here, if you go to oh, like one in flea markets and you find someone that's got some Japanese something or another, I'm yeah. like, bam, it's a done deal. Yeah. It's yours. Whatever they're asking. Go over there now. It's not like here where you find a diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. Over there, it's like, oh fuck, there's a mountain full of diamonds. Yeah. And I don't know which one to pull out. <laughs> so I ended up not spending anywhere near as much as I'd planned. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with logistics. Mm-hmm. Because if you took a bag over what you are, you know, you had as your uh, carry on and your check in, that was 300 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, and that was part of the money I had in here. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, I, mean, I bought some, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And, and the fact that that weekend was my birthday. There was these people bringing me stuff to the shows, just giving me stuff, man. So, uh, the night we did our last show, we're packing up in the hotel. I had to distribute everything into plastic bags, and I'm telling everybody, "You got another carry on." Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to let us. Oh, you're you're going to carry it on. Yeah, and we're going to get it home. <laughs> I hated doing that to them, but it's the only way it can happen. Yeah, we had a bunch of t-shirts too. So yeah, but yeah. Those early days of seeing those those Cayman Rider toys, man, and those cards and those kites and planes and stuff like that, man, I, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Back then, too, I don't know if you remember these, but I would guarantee you, you and your brother had them. Mego action figures? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They were still going on when you guys yeah. were coming up. You know, Mego's back in business. Yeah. Because, see, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. 
Oh, shit. I had to put out five Planet of the Apes figures. Now you put out five more. <laughs> of course, two of them are the same figure with different colored clothes on, but hey, never mind. Give it here. <laughs> <laughs> the imagery that the band uses is an extension of me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some people would want it to be more uh, that are in the organization. would want it to be more rock and roll in general, but man, I ain't doing that. I think it's cool, like the design for that latest sticker that you put out and stuff like that. You, know, you yeah. just you kind of do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. See, man, that doesn't. I don't like. I don't like when you're uh, when you got to stay in this slot. Mm-hmm. When anything, if you tell me I got to stay in this slot, well, I want to know what's going on over here in this slot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Now the Clash were the first ones to teach me that, mm-hmm. and I'll admit, at first I did not understand. Got London Calling. London Calling had enough of the Clash that I loved on it. Mm-hmm. that they could do a few experiments and you forgive them for yeah, it. Yeah. But then I drove and I just recently got my license and I'd never driven in a snowstorm before. Mm. I drove from Albemarle to Concord to Music Mart. A, me and a friend of mine called the Music Mart at uh, Albemarle. Do you have Sandinista? Mm. No, we don't have that in. We sold the only one we had. So we called Concord. Yeah, man, we got four copies of it. We're coming to get two of them. Yeah. All right. On the way up there, man, it snows like that. <laughs> no, first, there's no snow on the ground, and all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> it's everywhere, you know? And we're like, oh, shit. You know? yep. I didn't know how to drive. I figured out real quick not to slam on brakes. <laughs> Car yeah. going again. Man, we finally got that record. Took the drive, you know, that drive back home from Concord. Took about two and a half hours. And, uh, man, I finally sat down to listen to it. You know, it starts with a Magnificent Seven, and mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, this is a good, strong opener. I, yeah. I like this. A little too world music for me at this point, but, you know, they're going to rock it out next one. Yeah. And man, I was just like, <laughs> oh, this is taking a long time for them to rock it out. <laughs> <laughs> they have got to side uh, five, police on my back. All right, now they're rocking it out. <laughs> it's like, but see, I love that record now. Yeah, yeah. All all six sides of it. Mm-hmm. But back then, man, I was really disappointed. But I understand it now. Yeah. And, and, and I don't I don't think we have taken those big of leaps. But I don't I don't like to do stuff like one of the things that you Joe used to say that used to get on my nerves, man. Show a new song. Man, we ain't never had nothing that went like that. Done like that. <laughs> There's no contract. That says we can't. Yeah. We're not indebted to anyone of the way we're supposed to be. You know, and um, this next thing that's coming out, the split that we did with Before I Hang, mm-hmm. uh, our side of it is, it, it takes a little bit of a leap from uh, the normal stuff. You know, it's got a lot more, um, like, kind of atmospheric stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm doing it any justice trying to explain it. I just wait till people hear it. But, yeah. I, I, but I think people are going to enjoy it. Yeah. We, we sure enjoyed making it. Yeah. You can use those influences and, and change it up a little bit. And that's like with Van Huskins. We don't like to be pigeonholed at all. We mm-hmm. pretty much, we play what we want to play. And sometimes it comes off a little bit more metal, or sometimes it comes off a little bit more punk, or maybe a little bit of classic rock here and there. But, I mean, even down to like, we don't even have a logo. We mm-hmm. every we put out different logos with everything. And maybe that's to our detriment, because I know a lot of times the band gets associated with a logo. And mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we just, we want to have fun with it. We want to be able to do what we want to do, and we want to be able to do different stuff and not be tied to, say, a logo or, or a certain style of sound. So I totally get that mindset. Yeah, that's why we picked the most 
basic block letters mm-hmm. for our logo that you know you could you could have. And then you could use out anything. Yeah, yeah, that font looks good within. Yeah. But um, another thing I want to talk about just a little bit. And I know you talked about this some um, too. I uh, probably repo cheapo. Like I said earlier, Repo was a really big, very big influence on me and yeah. my musical taste. And, uh, I still, Repo is my favorite record store. We got other cool record stores in Charlotte. I won't diss any other record stores in Charlotte because they're great. Repo is always going to be my favorite just mm-hmm. because Jimmy was always so nice to me when I came in there. I mean, there was a time I went in there and he showed me all the commercials. He had them on, on VHS. He stuck them in. <laughs> we sat there for 10 minutes and watched all the commercials. Just the selection there was great. Prices were always great. Still are. You know, mm-hmm. everything is more expensive now. I look back at like, I still got price stickers on all my old records. And I pulled like raw power out. $4 price sticker. I was going to say, You can't man. find that for like less than 50 bucks no, these days. No way. You remember how uh, used records would fluctuate between three and four fifty? Mm-hmm. I got like black flag records that have, you know, back in the nineties, three, three dollars and 25 cents. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy though. Yeah, those way, days are over. Yeah. They're, they're, they're way over. Now when you find something like that, I mean, I, I, I'm, I look for deals when I go record shopping. And I don't mind if a record cover is a little bit rough looking or if the re- record itself might have a few scratches. On it. I'll rescue vinyl like that and listen to it all day long. But I'm not going to spend like 50 bucks on a record. It's just, it's impossible. For me. Mm-hmm. Even something brand new, 180 gram vinyl, I ain't spending $50 on that. Yeah. But yeah, but so, so Repo was where I guess I first met you, even though we, we, were, we were never friends back then. We're, we, I was still, we're, we're acquaintances now. Mm-hmm. We're not like good friends or anything. It's where I met you, it's where I met Jimmy, it's where I met Joe. It helped shape my love of punk rock, so I love Repo. But how did Repo Cheapo get started? Tell me a little, a little bit about that, because I love that story. I absolutely love that story. and hate it when it shut down. You know, Jimmy had uh, the main store was on Central. Mm-hmm. Then he had, like, the um, second one over on Tavola. Yeah, the one right down, right down the road here. Yeah, right, right over there. Yeah. And that was also the site of the Yellow Rose where we used to play. Mm-hmm. He wanted another one. That his stores were so full of um, stuff that he couldn't like deal in stuff like t-shirts and posters yeah, yeah. and and all again unless he opened up another place and and plus you know he wanted to uh, display a lot of his collection yeah that was what was so cool about that store was the fact that y'all had all that different stuff and you know so Jimmy liked hiring his friends mm-hmm. and, you know and me and Joe. Me and Joe, and especially Jeff Young, had really become great friends with Jimmy. So he kind of opened that third store, and I, for for lack of a better way of saying it, for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, we played there. We had in-stores there. Yeah, those pictures, they're really blurry. And I, I attribute that partially because, you know, back then you never really knew what you were going to get when you took the film to get it developed. I maybe didn't have the right film for the lights, or also kind of attribute to the fact that it was a crazy night, and I'm sure that I was getting knocked around a lot while I was taking those pictures. Yeah, it was kind of wild in there, man. And uh, I, I'm just glad. I, you know what? I'm real glad to see these because you can see the setup of the place, and it was definitely different. 
And yeah, like I said, you can have those too. You oh, can have thanks, these man. too. These are just, I think all these are from the 10th anniversary show. And there's a lot in there. They're like real similar to each other, but there's a few really good ones in there. Okay. But yeah, man, repo has always been our home base, you know, and I don't know if you heard me talk about it on break on through, but there's always these things we call heel turns mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> from wrestling <laughs> where you kind of don't speak or you speak ill of each other for a while. And, uh, that happened with, with us and Jimmy for a little bit, but you know, when everything gets fixed and everything's back, man, it's like that time never happened. Yeah, exactly. You know, I love that guy. Yeah. He's done more for me than just about anybody I can think of. Probably the biggest anti-scene fan I know. Yeah. Personally, there may be bigger ones out there, but they're probably hard to find. One thing I can thank him for is he keeps my chops up with my art because he's the only one I do consistent art for anymore. And man, I don't know if I didn't have that. I don't know if I would have done anything anymore. I love those repo ads from back in the day. Oh man, we used to get away with so much. Yeah. It was like, we'd get creative loafing just to see the next repo ad. (laughs) (laughs) There was one time we actually did a comic strip. Mm -hmm. You remember that one? Yep. The whole story (laughs) was like a story that unfolded over several. Several issues. Yeah. Yeah. We used to, I, I love that. Man, Jimmy still got all the original art from those things. Yeah, I bet so. One day we sat and looked at him. We're just like going, well, we couldn't have done this one today. <laughs> couldn't do this one today. There was about a dozen of them. We're just like, man, that would not float now. <laughs> I, one of these days, I think I want to actually sit down and talk to Jimmy. I think he'd be good to have on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd do like a full like two-hour episode with him or an hour and a half. But, you know, do a little quick 30-minute record store he can tell some stories yeah. man i'm sure he's got plenty of stories <laughs> i remember uh one time that there was this in creative loafing they had the blotter or whatever they called it and there was the one with the record store owner that jumped in the car and pistol whipped the guy and we read that it's like that's jimmy repo and when we were at the store the next weekend we asked him he's like yeah that was me <laughs> man there's oh shit there's there's a there's a lot of stories like that yeah <laughs> So we, I don't know, I've kind of covered pretty much everything here. We talked about Heretics. We've, you know, briefly talked about your other projects and anti-scene. We don't really, like I said, we, you talk about that stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't really think if there's anything else that I had to ask. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because we'll get around and we'll sort of wrap up talking about anti-scene a little bit more. No, I mean, I mean, you know, like we touched on all those subjects and it all kind of came back around to anti-scene eventually because it's all kind of intertwined, you know? Yeah. One thing I do want to ask about anti-scene or anti-scene was the name. You know, it said both. I think I've heard you say it both ways. Yeah, probably. You know, have. Um, I believe the the song it says anti-scene in the song mm-hmm. you know, instead of anti-scene. But I've always said anti-scene. Mm-hmm. Is there? There's not an official way to say it. Is there? no. And I like you're right. I've, I've probably said it both ways. This is like I think there's bands like anti-flag that some people call anti-flag, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of there's a couple of other ones. Anti-nowhere league. Anti-nowhere league. Anti-nowhere yeah. league. It's just a matter of how you say that. Yeah, how you say anti. Yeah. Anti or anti. Man, uh, for the longest time, you know, like, we, we never saw the Ramones on anything. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how they looked. I mean, you know, we just saw pictures. Yeah. We never saw no live videos of them and stuff. And, man, you know, for years, what we thought they were called? What's that? The Raymonds. The Raymonds, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were listening one night on uh, one of those college radio stations from, uh, from Davidson. Mm-hmm. And they said the Ramones. And I was like, uh, they said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that like, like, like me and Alex, Alex can have a conversation talking about your band and I'll be saying it one way and Alex will say it the other way. And it's just nobody bats an eye at it because it's just, it's accepted. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's kind of cool. And people have asked, well, how's it said? And I go, how do you say it? Yeah. 
I say it this way. Well, that's the way it said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even think about that when we named the group that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just turned out that way. And that's just something I've never bothered to correct anyone on because I kind of like hearing it different ways. I think when you grow up in the South, you get used to people saying things different ways anyway. You know, that's yeah. just that's just one of the things in this area, not not because of the transplants, but from people that are from the South. Mm-hmm. Everybody from the South has different degrees of accents and different ways of saying things based on how they were brought up and what the household they lived in. With. Yep. And you just get used to it so much that you just don't even question it. Whereas somebody from, like, I, I know when I talk to people from other places, California or New York, sometimes they're like, man, you got a real bad Southern accent. I'm like, yeah, I got a Southern accent. But so if you live in the South, man, you wouldn't even notice like accents anymore because everybody sounds so vastly different. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of those things. Speaking of Southern accents, my wife and I can listen to Southern accents pretty much and tell where they're, what area they're yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. You can do that from around here, mm-hmm. you know, in this, in this, even in this, this area. Yep. What, what part of, what county in, around Charlotte, who are you from, mm-hmm. based on your accent? Yep. Because see, to me, you sound a lot like uh, Bowman. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're all from the same town, you're from the same region. Yeah, we're from, both from Cleveland County. Mm-hmm. So what's, we talked a little, you mentioned Japan a while ago. I know that was one of your big goals. Oh, yeah. You guys have played Germany, you played Japan. Is there any other anywhere else you want to play, or are you looking just to go back to Japan someday? Man, I would love to go back to Japan. I don't know how that's going to unfold. I mean, I guess once all this is all over, we see yeah. how the world's going to be as far as Okay. We have one more for you. But we're going to bring some new friends of ours up on stage to help us with it. Oi, Paul, you're shooting at me. I'm going to cast a Man, we've been as a second foreign country to ever reach out to us. We've got records that were released for Australia only. Yeah. And but we've never had a booking agent want to bring us down. I know when uh, Even More Possum came out, it was on Zuma Records mm-hmm. out of Australia. My copies. Zuma was out of Germany. Oh, okay. No, dog. I'm thinking of Dog Meat. Yeah, on Noise for dog Second Meat. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking. That's Noise for Second Meat. They also did the My God Can Beat Up Your God single, the Groin Thunder compilation of the trogs and uh i think that's all we did on dog meat but i did the dog meat logo yeah <laughs> yeah i need to i need to start drawing again 
you've done a lot of stuff, um, just logos, um, seven inch covers. Man, that cartoon I did of Gigi has kind of become the Gigi Allen logo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. Unofficially, I guess. Mm. So, what's what's next for Anti Scene? You got single that just came out, the Jerry A. Um, live streams coming up on the 25th. Live stream on the 25th. You mentioned the split or the split split 10 inch record with uh, Before I Hang. Yeah. Um, a new live LP, which will be the audio from that uh, live broadcast we did on Facebook okay. back in June. Yeah. But it's going to be pressed on vinyl. And it's gonna. It's also gonna come with a DVD, and then we got the live broadcast on the twenty fifth, and we're still in the process of writing new stuff. And uh, me and Mark Rainey from TKO are always working on the, re- the next reissue. Yeah, and the next reissue is gonna be here to ruin your groove. Okay, yeah, I like the fact that you're doing that too. So, yeah. like, I've got picked up the drastic EP, the reissue of that, even though I've got the original one. I was like, I got, I gotta get this. <laughs> I try to make it to where there's something. There's some there's some extra stuff on there. Something that makes you want to have to buy it yeah. again. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we're not always successful. But, um, yeah, I've said before, it, sometimes it, it's like I play in two anti-scenes. Mm-hmm. The one that's moving forward and the one that we have to go back. Yeah. That's cool that you're keeping that legacy alive, too. Because yeah. there's people out there that want it. Mm-hmm. People out there that have just discovered you that can't get it or don't want to pay, pay collector's prices for it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's cool that, that you can put it back out there and keep all that stuff alive, especially, you know, memory of Joe as well. It's, you know, I, I, I still like to hear all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we are also probably, as the year comes to an end, we're going to aggressively pursue um, doing some kind of crowdfund thing, uh, GoFundMe, and we're going to raise the money to buy a grave plot for Jeff and Joe. Yeah. And uh, get them a gravestone. I'll, I'll help promote that too on yeah. you know, by sharing those links and stuff. And, and you know, we'll just we'll just uh, just bury their ashes there and uh, in in their town, Lenore. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, everybody, you know, people coming either this side of the country or coming to the United States in general. If everyone wanted to make a pilgrimage to go pay their respects, there'll be a place to do that. Yeah. So. yeah. But you see yourself going on for a forty-year anniversary show, big forty-year anniversary show in the yeah, years. See yourself going on that long, hopefully. I hope we uh, are able to do a live and in-person 40-year anniversary show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think hopefully by then. I mean, everything's remains to be seen. But mm-hmm. I, I'm real optimistic that sometime middle of next year things will start getting back to normal. I think you. I think you put a uh, a phrase out that you respect this thing. I I'm not afraid of it. And I, I don't know that life had to come to a complete halt, but um, I don't know. I just yeah I'm 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 at that point where you know I, I don't want to mess around with something because for me like if I pass it on to my mom I'd never forgive myself you know? right right and it's just like I, I, for that reason alone I've just got to play by the rules for right now we've never dealt with this yeah ever I mean you can talk about 1916 17 whatever it 19 but they didn't shut the whole country down yeah, and they didn't have this this uh, type of communication yeah to where you can say it now mm-hmm. and the whole world hears it. Within five minutes, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it's it's hard to determine what would have been the best thing or what would have been the best way to go about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Well, I look at it as it don't matter. There's really nothing you can do right now because, yeah. like I said, your hands are kind of tied. Even if you want to try to do something by that public perception, and man, look, this is by no way trying to draw a line and make somebody pick a side, but this is truth. 
because I I've studied not uh, an official study, but yeah. I've observed enough human nature in my almost sixty years of life. And I'm telling you right now, if they came out today and said social distancing, forget it, mask, forget it, this thing is whipped, it's gone. Mm-hmm. About a third of the population is not going to let it go. I believe you're probably right on that. Yeah, I believe that at least a percentage of the population for sure is always going to always see them in the mask, mm-hmm. especially like at winter times and stuff mm-hmm. like that. During, which, I mean, you know, I always took precautions in flu season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never wore a mask. And that's the way I look at it. When this all started, I, at one point I was like, why should I stop going to shows? Because flu season never slows me down. But, you know, I, I don't want to get into all whether it's worse or the flu or all that, but you know, still it was, it, I, there was a lot of me that was like, why, you know, I, I'm careful now. I, I don't get the flu when already, I must wash my hands enough and all that jive now. So mm-hmm. like I said, we, we don't make the rules at this point. We're just playing by them because public oh, perception I mean, could be a bitch sometimes. Like, okay, well, you know, you, you want to do this. Well, guess what? You're not able. No. <laughs> That's how it is. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I, I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that, that, you know, when this is all over, there's still going to be enough people that want to go out that we'll get to have some more fun before it's all, you know. I mean, man, I've already had uh, Mick, Mick from uh, Ground Zero ask us about playing. Yeah, man, I, I wanted to be one of the first bands to go out and play, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to be like you were talking about. You know, hey, 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 here we are. We're playing a show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't expect anyone to give a shit, you know, especially when they're scared to death. Yeah. It's just that fine line you got to try to walk. And I'm just like, I want, I want to go back to playing. I'll play, I'll play ground zero again. It's like I said, I, I just don't think the mindset is there yet mm-hmm. with enough of the population to where it makes any difference. Yeah. And I don't want to go out there and half ass it either. Yeah. Cause like you were talking about with the live streams, we didn't do, we, at first I thought, man, we can live stream and practice. A lot of people were doing it. I was like watching them going, no, I don't want to do that. Cause it sounds like crap. So we, we did do one from the milestone. And it sounded pretty good. I still think it could have been better if it had set up a little bit better. But it's it still was it was it was good enough for us, and that was fine. But I don't intend to do another one unless I know it's going to be right. Because mm-hmm. it's just not a point. No point. In. We don't have this big name to protect or anything. But I don't want to. I don't want to practice for everybody else. I want them to see a show. Mm-hmm. So there's no point in half-assing it. And if you even try to play a show right now, you know I, I don't care if only ten people show up. Because that's kind of par for the course here in Charlotte for, for <laughs> bands like us. Um, I also don't want to go out there and be like thinking, I wonder how many people would have been here if they could have been here. And just feeling like it's like everybody's being too cautious. And it takes all the fun out of it. So until it's going to be fun again, I'm just like, let's do what we can to, to stay a band, write new songs. And then hopefully on the other side, we can come out. And people will appreciate it maybe a little bit more than they did in the past. Well, man, I, I'll tell you this. When, when, when we did the broadcast, I told the guys... And, you know, everyone thought it was going to be kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. I didn't find it to be very awkward at all, really. Um, because I told I told them, I said, you know, I said, I'm not going to make you nervous or anything, but we could potentially, when this thing goes on, mm-hmm. we could potentially be pay, playing to the biggest crowd oh, yeah. we've ever played to. I don't know if that eased anybody's nerves. But, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just... Uh, See, we lit up the entire front with white light mm-hmm. so that, you know, it wouldn't go dark. And that was, so that's all I could see. Yeah. And I just pretended that it was the biggest crowd we ever played to. Yeah. And that's why I fucked up. I was more concerned with putting on a show than uh, getting every cue right. 
I don't think that's the way to do it. Just play it like you're you were playing an actual show. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything different. Do it just like you would if you had a crowd in front of. And it's a little awkward because you don't have that feedback, that immediate feedback. But see, that's why we didn't want to stop. You said, right man, through it. Just go right through it, and you won't hear the deafening silence when we stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> we did it. You know, we, we stopped between all our songs. And luckily, you know, when we did it at the Milestone, there were a few other bands, including Queen City Rejects. Uh-huh. So there were about, I'd say, maybe 15 people in the Milestone all spread out. So there was a little bit of, again, not much unlike a regular Van Huskin uh-huh. show where there's 15 people in the crowd. So. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, we could, we could we could do a whole show on that whole state of affairs too. Yeah, it gets brought up on the podcast quite a bit, so much so that I cut out a lot of it these days. Whenever I talk to bands about it, because it's almost like beating a dead horse. Mm-hmm. But it's I, again, I've said it so many times, and a lot of this will get cut out. I mean, I'm going to use some of the COVID stuff that we talked about because I think that's really interesting, and, and you know, that's how we feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it's like I say, you know, people have so many distractions right here. Even when they're at a show, a lot of times they're right here. So just get them off the couch to come to a show sometimes. That phone in their hand, they're watching Netflix Man. on it or listening to music or talking to or just doing nothing, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook. Man, I'll tell you this. Before you come over, Maritonia is trying to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. I have so many distractions. Man, I get so, get on there. What's this? Oh, what? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, 20 minutes have passed. I got him. I'll never get this done. <laughs> You know, I mean, I didn't get it as done as good as I'd like to. Like I said, I'd like to have all that stuff rolled out so I could turn the lights on it and let you see it, you know, in its proper uh, display mode. But uh, it's just too easy to get distracted these days. And you have so many options, too. I mean, it's not just the, the fact that it's a distraction. You've got a movie theater on your, the palm of your hand. You've got a jukebox in the palm of your hand. You've got, you know, a line to the whole world in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. And it takes the focus away from a lot of it. And like I said, you'll be playing a show and half the people in the crowd are looking at their phone. And yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm guilty of pulling my phone out too. Usually what I do is I, I pull my phone out, try to take one or two quick pictures and put it back in my pocket and ignore it the rest of the time. But there's been times when all of a sudden I've gotten a notification. I've been like, oh, what is this? You know, just make sure it's not a text. It's something important. My daughter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, like five minutes have passed and I'm still looking at it. What the fuck? Put it back in my pocket. It's like, I, I hate it, but it's also like a necessity. Yeah. It's definitely uh, addictive, I think. Yeah, I think it certainly is. Uh, there's times when I know I spend way too much time on it. But again, like like I said, these days just getting motivated is hard. And then you get sucked into that, catching up with the news of the day or just what your friends are doing. Or I got to respond to these emails. Then you start listening to music. One thing leads to another. And the next thing you know, an hour and a half passed. Like, Man, I was supposed to start working on that podcast. What am I doing?
yeah, a long time ago, or not not too long ago, I used to, <laughs> my excuse for things is, man, I got on YouTube, mm-hmm. and uh, it was over then. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I came home at 2.30, I started on YouTube, next thing I know, it's dark out, I'm like, God, I haven't eaten. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times I went down that midnight special uh, rabbit hole in, yeah. on YouTube. Some great performances on that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, and, and even that, like, you start watching that, and the next thing you know, you're watching a commercial from Japan, and just five hours have passed. It's like, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of Midnight Special, I wonder how they got such great performances out of everyone. Yeah, because there are. I mean, it's everything I've ever watched from that. It's just fantastic. I mean, I figured there would, there would have been some hit or misses somewhere along the line, mm-hmm. but it uh, seems like everyone did really well. Yeah. Very professional musicians, maybe a little bit of studio magic. I mean, I just wonder if they recorded more than they showed us. Yeah, like they recorded several and times. And they just picked yeah, the best, best one. That's possible. You know, of course, they're going to pick the hit. Yeah, that's that's always possible. Because, man, I think I think Aerosmith as a band was only on it one time. Mm-hmm. But Steven Tyler was on it as a host with Ted Nugent one time. That's when they uh, introduced ACDC to America, basically. Yeah, Old Grey Whistle Test. That's another good one. Mm-hmm. A lot of really good stuff in that. You ever hear the story about that uh, that English dude, uh, Whispering Bill or whatever his name is? I think so. The DJ on there? He hated punk. Oh, really? Hated it. Hated every bit of it. <laughs> he didn't want nothing. It was still his show and all, but they he kind of said, I'm not hosting. And that's when they got different hosts yeah. and stuff on there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I think he liked the police and yeah. stuff like that. But, man. Go beyond that. And it's- pistols, Ramones in it. Garbage. Yeah. <laughs> There's some people that still feel that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> I think all those bands get a lot more respect now, even from from people that don't really get punk rock, do understand why they're important. Sometimes it's really hard to fathom how big The Clash actually got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got pretty big. Yeah. Huge. Like Wimble- what, Wim- Wimbledon? Or yeah. Wembley Stadium. Wembley. Wembley. Yeah. Headlined it, right? Yeah. No, it was The Who. They're playing with the Who. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I still I think, was, I think they were just as much a draw as the yeah, Who were. Yeah, they were, especially at that point. Yeah. And they still kept that ethos of uh, if our fans want to come back and talk to us, we're going to talk to them. Yeah, that's awesome. See, I always admired that. Yeah, I, I do that. Yeah, I, you I make yourself very available. Yeah, I, I don't like to talk before the shows, mm-hmm. but I'll talk after. Yeah, yeah. I can see how some fans will irritate you because some of them do not have a filter. A social filter, knowing when okay, I've worn this out now. I yeah, to, yeah, some of them don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is that's another one of those things. Like I said, when I first met you, it's something that's that stuck with me is the fact that you took the time and you still do that today. Even like when you did the 35th anniversary show, you even set up a, an additional night just to hang out and talk. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's I just think that's awesome. That, you know, you have that ethos about you and that you are a very fan friendly band. I just know how much every single time that it happened to me and what it meant to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's stuff I carry around as fond memories for the rest of my life. Yeah. And the ones where they were assholes also. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, if, if I'd have met you that day and it would have been a different story, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. I yeah. might not even be into punk rock anymore. I might have been yeah. turned off on it. You might and, have said, fuck this punk bands. And, and, but you were nice and, and, and signed the, the set, talked to me for a minute. And then we came and saw your band, and just, that was it. It was, you know, this is what we're doing. We're going to be a punk rock band. Style and Johnny Appleseeds, Pope's on Dope, all that. Just it was because of you. you know, I could have I could have stopped a long time ago, but I saw that somebody like me 
from a small town in North Carolina can play music and people can come and listen to it and have a good time and enjoy it. And so that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And it took us a while before we got good at it. I remember when we first started playing with Style and Johnny Appleseeds, especially, we sent Penny a cassette and she like wrote back to us or I don't know if we talked to her at the club or something. She basically said, you guys aren't ready, but keep up the good work. And uh, that was when we found Heretics. We played Heretics. So it was like, I still, I love Penny to death and I love, you know, everything she did for me because mm-hmm. that was when I discovered the milestones when she was running it. Um, but that didn't deter me. It was like, I'm still going to do this and I'll mm-hmm. find a place to do it. Yeah. And we found our way. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. I'm uh, just seeing somebody, like I said, somebody like me was enough of a, a motivator for me to go, yes, this is, this is it. There's no too many people that if they would have encountered one fourth of the um, resistance we did, mm-hmm. they would have gave up. Yeah. First time. I'm glad you persevered and still doing it today. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's the that's where people say we're we're so angry or so mean and, and all this, man. It's like it's towards stuff like that. You know, we've had we've been accused of so much. Mm-hmm. And it's by, just by people who don't know us. Yeah. Who Or who don't get us. Mm. Nothing can stick, you know, because we've had songs that are peppered with this far right stuff and peppered with far left stuff. Yeah. And where, where do we, where are we on that? You know, people demand to know, where are you on these issues right now? And you know what I say? I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> That's probably a good enough stuff to record that I've got recorded, and I think I've already got a good ending for it and everything. I, I, I kind of put the episode together in my head and start. Mm. I start editing it in my head while we're doing it. Yeah, so I understand like, that. Um, I think that's going to be a good episode, and and I do. I think down the road we'd like to talk to you again and, and 
Get some yeah, of those man. bookstore stories. <laughs> Any anytime, man. And anytime you you would ever want to talk, man, you know, you know, somebody I would like to get to open up more is Barry. That's I, I was thinking because I do want to get Russ and I want to get Malcolm and I was thinking that I want to get Barry too if, if he'd be willing to do it because he just seems like the kind that would be like oh, I don't really have anything important to say. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. And he says he can't remember stuff. Yeah, like the other like yesterday in practice I was I always keep a copy of our book there because it's got the lyrics in it and I, I can't man we're doing we're doing some songs on this broadcast that if you said all right sing them now I don't I don't know one of the <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and, and I had to relearn it. Mm-hmm. But I was just looking through. And I said, "Barry, come here, man." I said, "Do you?" I said, "This right here. You don't remember this?" He's like, "No, not really." And he go, "Wait a minute. Was that on uh, stage at Tabloids?" I went, "Close. It was on stage at Tremont." Yeah. He's like, "Well, man, he says it's not that I don't. You know, like it just goes out of my brain. It's just like I don't. I don't focus on it." Yeah. He's like, uh, "He said probably when I was getting that picture made, I was thinking about what we had coming up next, or." What I had to do next, like, you know, maybe I got to go pull the van around and uh, back up to the dock or something, you know. And, he's, and I said, well, yeah, I understand that. Mm-hmm. I said, I-, I would say 70% of the time I can look at a picture taken from anywhere, yeah. anytime. And I can t- and I can tell you where it was. Yeah. So I have a problem with years sometimes. Yeah, I, I get that totally. But I can give you generally. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what detail that can make me remember something. Yeah, and uh, like a lot of times, if I if they're like, okay, where's this picture from? Do you know where this was taken from? All I gotta do is see what T-shirt I was wearing. Yeah, okay, I hadn't had that shirt in about twenty years, so it was probably you know like Charleston or something. Mm. Yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah, seems silly, but it's the way it is. The same way, like you show me pictures of heretics. All I gotta do is look at that Doors flag hanging up in the rafters. I'm like, this is heretics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, know certain, certain you little know details what? about I, different I, places. I had forgotten all about that until you just met and I saw it, and then you mentioned it. I always want. There's always a fucking Doors flag up yeah. when people are playing. I didn't think about it that much back then. I guess it didn't wasn't that important. I guess I've just seen it in so many pictures because I've got pictures of like my bands from back then too, and it's like always in the background. <laughs> Little details about clubs like that. Milestones, pretty easily recognizable for me. Of course, like I said, that's like that's home for me. Well, man, you know the one thing about milestone is like that back that back area behind the stage went through a lot of mm-hmm. drastic changes. I remember uh, when Bill put up that fucking green shag carpet. Yeah. And I remember when DOA came in there and spray painted their damn name on it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God damn. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you've got a lot of great stories from that time too. Yeah. I, I, I thought that the um, Black Flag show was your first one there. So I remember my first night going there. Like I said, the week before we went out there just to check the place out, and then we saw Tonka. They were a band from Rock Hill, and Plaid Retina and Cerebellum. Cerebellum, I think, was from Raleigh. Plaid Retina's from California. But it was like I was hooked. This this club. There, there, were, there weren't even that many people out there. Didn't Plaid Retina some form of that? Morph into Operation Ivy? Or am I wrong? Mm, I am not sure about that. That might not be I, the case. I don't case, think so. But I think they were they were from the same, around the same scene. Mm-hmm. But like I was hooked. And then I was out there every weekend after that. When I turned 18, I was out there every Friday and Saturday night. You know, it was like it was Sundays for the longest time because that was all we could really do. I think it was 18 and up. Other than that, it was all ages and Sundays. From six to nine or whatever. It was, it was the place to go, no matter who was playing, like you said. Yeah. No matter who was playing, that's where we were. Well, you know, I'm glad it went. I'm glad that tradition went on a little longer than what we did, and I don't. Guess, it probably doesn't happen too much these days. No, not at all. My wife and I were talking about it, and it's just like you know, we we came from 
this time and all this that where like if if us 30 people are there and we all know each other, you know maybe we're not friends but we know that guy we yeah. know that girl yeah but there's someone there that we don't know we always made it our business to introduce ourselves because you wanted to know everybody that was yeah into the same stuff you were yeah you know yeah i met so many cool people there and friendships that have lasted years so many great things started the milestone this has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt Media Production. But one thing that this music community has always been from the start, I've never known it to be any other, any other way. It was always all-inclusive. Yeah. Before that became a mantra and before that became a requirement. Yeah. It always was. It was just naturally that way. It was organic. It was completely organic. Yep. I don't know, man. I mean-